Hello, this is Revel, and you are listening to Rockin' Radio. My guest is Dr. Douglas Graham, a lifetime athlete and 30-year raw fooder. He is an advisor to world-class athletes and trainers from around the globe. Welcome, Dr. Graham. Oh, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here today. Oh, it's my pleasure having you. Uh, for Timeline Clarity, today is September 30th, 2008, and uh, so you don't be confused by events mentioned on this program. Now, I have been, I told Dr. Graham this off the air, that uh, I have heard so many negative things about him or about his food program, not about him personally, <laughs> but about his food program, how quote-unquote restrictive it is, et cetera, et cetera. So I've been kind of against having him on the show and uh, and you know not having looked into his program myself. I just heard so much stuff. And I went to the Raw Spirit Festival. I heard Dr. Graham speak, and he, you... Dr. Graham, made so much sense. I went over and I bought both his books, and I've been sitting here reading it going, well, you know what? You say the same things I do. So, <laughs> you know, there there is so much fear around raw food or even um, eating a lot of fruit. Is there anything you can respond to about that? Well, no, you know what? Let me get. Let me ask you something. What got you started eating raw in the first place? I mean, over thirty years ago, did you transition? Just jump in? How how did you get to eating raw? Oh, I, I took a long circuitous route to raw foods. I really did. I started doing dietary experiments when I was in my early teens, and continued doing them slowly but surely. The effort being to create better sports performance was the primary goal. Uh, some aspect of weight management certainly played a part. And over the years, it, I was studying health and nutrition uh, as part of my physical education training in college, continued to hear teachers uh, touting, the, touting the values of consuming fruits and vegetables. Uh, in fact, over and over and over from grammar school on, health teachers and fitness coaches and sports coaches all telling me, you know, fruits and vegetables are really good for you. Eat your fruits and vegetables. Uh, It wasn't until I got out of college that I actually decided to do that experiment and eat some fruits and vegetables. (laughs) Uh, And then slowly but surely the, the inevitable light came on that, the more of them I ate, the better I felt. I wonder what would happen if I ate more of them. And so I just continued going down that road uh, from from vegetarian in college to vegan afterwards, uh, eventually making the the dramatic step from from a starch-based vegan to a fruit-based raw fooder, uh, essentially eating the diet that nutritionists have taught us to eat for as far back as there have been nutritionists, uh, that the scientists have told us is uh, most supportive of human health and that the sports physiologists have shown us uh, results in the highest delivery and performance, which is a diet that contains no more than 3 to 9% of calories from protein, and a diet that, according to 
the longest study ever done on human nutrition, the largest study ever done on human nutrition, and all of the other supportive thousands and thousands of studies on human nutrition have shown us that predictable health decline ensues when our fat consumption exceeds 10% of calories, hence they too, Pritikin, McDougall, and the long list of uh, renowned and respected health professionals uh, have told us eat three to nine percent of our calories from fat. So, with the three to nine percent of calories from protein and three to nine percent of calories from fat, uh, the obvious math said that the other eighty plus percent had to come from carbohydrates, which, as we've again been told for decades. Uh, I'd say five decades now, we've been told, eat more complex carbs. Well, eating more complex carbs from a cooked world perspective makes sense if we're trying to achieve that 80-10-10 ratio where a minimum of, minimum of 80% of your calories comes from carbohydrates. But it doesn't make sense for a wide variety of reasons that I wrote about in my book, Grain Damage. It doesn't make sense from a, sense, from a concept of sheer taste. If you, if you look in the dictionary, complex carbohydrates are by definition tasteless. Mm. They're not bland. They are tasteless. And no one is going to stick to eating tasteless food for very long. So we invariably end up adding a wide variety of condiments and other um, taste-enhancing agents, excitotoxins primarily. And, uh, and so I just I just said, you know what, I wonder what would happen if I had more fruit instead. I knew I was on to something when everybody told me I was wrong, uh, <laughs> and I just continued going down that road of, of having fruit for breakfast and then eventually having fruit for breakfast and lunch, uh, finding every time I added more fruit I felt better. I agree with the people who say that too much fruit is bad for you. Uh, too much of anything, the phrase too much implies that something is wrong. And so too much fruit is obviously bad for you. And I agree with the people who say that if you eat a lot of fruit, while you are on a diet of too much fat, you will have health problems. But the problem there wasn't eating a lot of fruit. The problem was eating too much fat. And it was the fat, uh, as determined and written about in the 1959 Journal of the American Medical Association, uh, where they described quite clearly that diabetes is not caused from eating fruit. It is not caused from eating sugar, but that it's actually caused by an overconsumption of fat, which blocks sugar metabolism. Oh. And so since 1959, this is, it's not news in any stretch of the imagination. Uh, we're now talking 50 years. Uh, this has been what's taught. It's what the American... Um, the Diabetic Association says to this day that diabetics should be able to consume all the fruit they care for, that, that fruit is not the cause of diabetes, therefore eliminating fruit is not the cure. Uh, we've seen the same thing with virtually all diseases. Certainly the Cancer Society says eat all the fruit you care for. Fruits and vegetables are very good for people. They're, they're not only preventative of cancer, but also uh, the, the proper foods to eat in terms of treatment, and it's it's sort of it's sort of fun to me to see the 
in a, in a peculiar, in a sad way. How can I say that? You know, it's sort of fun, though, to see the, the raw food movement leaders literally thumbing their nose at all health science uh, by, by recommending people eat a high-fat diet of stimulants, condiments, supplements, superfoods, uh, basically a diet of fat and grass, uh, when, when we know quite clearly that all species on the planet have a species-specific diet. And although certain animals uh, within a species might prefer, oh, you know, certain pelicans might eat one kind of fish and other pelicans might prefer a different kind of fish, but pelicans eat fish, you know, and, and uh, we see the same thing. Certain certain. Lion groups might take down antelopes, and other lion groups might take down a different mammal, but lions take down mammals. That's what they do. A lot of that would depend on where they're living and what mammals are available to them. And even, even if they're all living next to each other, okay. you will still find that certain groups will... Oh, for instance, I study the sloth in Costa Rica, and the sloth eats 90 different types of vegetation. But any given individual sloth rarely eats more than about 40 types of vegetation. But sloth eat vegetation. That's what they do. And this is good for the species because it means two sloth can live in neighboring trees and not be competing for necessarily the same food. It makes for more sloth density in the, in the rainforest. But, but it is a, nonetheless a species-specific diet, and, and all the animals on the planet have a species-specific diet. There's no reason to think that human beings shouldn't also have a species-specific diet, and that species-specific diet has been described countless times for an endlessly long period of time, uh, back to biblical days and before, uh, which was fruits and vegetables. All right. Those are our health foods. On that one, we shall be right back. Hi, and welcome back to Rockin' Radio. Please take time to check out my websites, revelations.com with two V's and two L's, where you can sign up for my weekly revelations. When you do, you'll receive my latest ebook, 10 Most Asked questions about raw foods find out about my teleclasses and my books revolutionize your life in 30 days a self-empowering playbook and smoothies and smoothies for life remember surrender to the blender i uh, also recommend a lot of books on amazon and to find my podcast including this one you can go to revel.com that's with two b's and two l's you can find me on myspace myspace.com slash rock and radio my guest today is dr douglas graham you can find his website, Food and Sport, F-O-O-D-N-S-P-O-R-T, all one word, foodandsport.com. He's got a book out called The 80-10-10 Diet, along with uh, grain damage, but The 80-10-10 Diet, Balancing Your Health, Your Weight, and Your Life, One Luscious Bite at a Time. And... Um, I got this book at the Raw Spirit Festival, been just sitting and reading it slowly. Usually I just pour through a book and go, that's done. But this one, I've got uh, things underlined and highlighted and everything else. And everything Dr. Graham is saying today is in that book. Uh, now, I'm going to hit you with a couple things. We're saying that um, 
people are made to eat fruits and vegetables. There are people who have, they don't have the access to them, and you've probably heard this before. What about Eskimos, and what about the people in Asia who eat a lot of grains? How how can you say that they need that they to eat fruits and vegetables when they don't have access to them as we do? Uh, essentially, what we're talking about is is two different concepts, uh, Rebel. We're talking about the difference between survival and thrival. Uh, if if we wish to feed a dog whatever we happen to have handy, we certainly can. You can give him ice cream and cake and candy, for that matter, and the dog will eat whatever you give it, Uh, practically anything. However, there are certain foods that are more supportive of the dog's health. Uh, These are commonly referred to as as the science of nutrition. Uh, Sometimes in marketing they'll, they'll call it the science diet, uh, and typically when we think of the science diet, we think of dog food or cat food uh, and don't apply it to people in the same way. Mm-hmm. But there is certainly a science diet for humans, and the science diet for humans describes those foods which are ideal for humans to consume. Now, we are gifted with more free will in terms of making choices and decisions than most other creatures at least it appears that way to us. And with that free will, <laughs> with that free will, it, it gives us the freedom of surviving in situations that are less than ideal for us. And so we have the smarts to eat what's available, even if the optimum food choices aren't available. Hence, Eskimos can survive up north. Uh, in these polar regions, but let's let's be realistic. Uh, until our introduction into Eskimo society, or at the time of our introduction into Eskimo society, the average Eskimo uh, was old and dying, typically dead at age thirty-nine. Wow, uh, that is not thriving, living a long, luxurious life. It was a short, sweet existence and eked out at that. And yes, they managed to survive. And we can look in other cultures and go, yes, they managed to survive. And some of them managed to survive even longer than we do as Americans. And again, when we look at the standard American diet, most people looking in from the outside go, Egads, how did they manage to survive on that? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, although we love to think of ourselves as eating well, um, you know, that, that's truly not the case. And we know it's not. Most of us, if we look back at our own childhood, we go, Egads, how did we manage to survive that? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, the idea of thriving is, in fact, something that most people. In our, in our hardwiring of our neurology, we are designed to think of ourselves as thriving at all times. Ask people how they're doing. They'll say, oh, I'm doing great, you know, except for my whatever it is they've got. Well, in fact, we're not thriving, and as a people, we're not thriving. As a society, we're not thriving. Uh, America 
certainly Americans, we've dropped down close to number 100 in terms of overall health and longevity on the planet, uh, in terms of nations, uh, we're not doing well. But we like to think of ourselves as doing well. That's, you know, it's, as I say, it's in our hardwiring to think of ourselves as doing well. Uh, and so, yes, we can survive on practically anything, but it takes a toll. We can survive smoking cigarettes, drinking Coca-Cola, and eating pizza. But when we take optimal care of ourselves, and this, is, this has been sort of my niche in, in the world and in, certainly in the raw food movement, has been to discuss health, to discuss the target of creating health, and then define the bullseye. How do we hit the bullseye? And for those people who wish to go, I help them by creating generic materials such as the 80-10-10 diet or by doing individual counseling with people motivated to do their best. Uh, typically, I find people motivated to do their best are either people who are very sick or people who are world-class performers. And everybody else in the middle, the other 98% of the world, I take it on as my personal mission to try to reach them as well, uh, make, the, make the information so appealing and the results so dramatic that everybody wants them because, in fact, everybody wants health. Yeah, they do, but most people, and I'm talking from personal experience, people I've seen around me who know what I do, um, and I look at them, and it's an interesting phenomenon because over the last five years or so, I've I've added 25 pounds to my frame that shouldn't be there, because, and I know what I did to do that, so I know how people can do that. If they don't look in the mirror, they don't even notice how they are not healthy, and I think it sometimes happens so slowly, they're unaware of it. But once they're aware of it, they still don't know the difference between survival and thrival. You know, as long as they're alive, they feel they're doing okay. Well, people either pay the price for health or they pay the price for sickness. And we love to do what we've been doing. Uh, people are loath to change as a general rule. Uh, and in fact, I had a good friend ask me yesterday, you know, but do I have to give up this, that, and the other? And I, and I go, no, you don't have to give up anything. I haven't, I've never given up anything. I've never given up on old friends. I've never given up on certain foods. They're available to me. I can have them if I want them. I choose, however, to be in loving relationships. I choose to be in mutually supportive relationships. I, I, there hasn't been a food that I've tried that I didn't really love. I, I've loved almost every food I've ever tried, but I found that some foods didn't love me back as much as others <laughs> did. And I, I, I prefer to be in relationships with food that love me back as much as I love them. I know why fruits and vegetables are considered the world's most nutritious foods, and it's because their nutrient content most closely mimics human nutritional requirements. And this is the definition of health food. It's not the myth that we've been sold that more is better. This is absolutely myth. And when it comes to nutrition, we know that this is not fact. Uh, more is not better. More invariably results in the concentration of specific nutrients and the imbalance of those nutrients to others. We refer to those nutrients, if they are calorie-born, 
as empty calories. So the highest source of carbohydrates is refined starch or refined sugar, but we know that that's not the most nutritious source of carbohydrates. The highest source of fats are pure refined fats, but we know those aren't the most nutritious sources. Those are refined fats. They're pure fat, and they're nothing but fat, and we know that whole foods are always more nutritious than their refined counterparts. The same thing is true for the individual nutrients, although the terminology doesn't exist. We know the phrase empty calories, but we don't know the phrase empty nutrients, which are nutrients separated from their calorie source, just as empty as calories separated from their nutrient source. And so the supplements and superfoods and concentrated vitamins and minerals and other, other uh, antioxidants, phytonutrients, enzymes, etc., separated from their other nutrient sources actually are what you would refer to as empty nutrients. And these are just as contradictory to the building of health. They throw off the balance of all other nutrients to themselves when consumed uh, as as are empty calories. When we use empty calories or empty nutrients to create food products, we create food products that may be numbing to our senses, and so we call them or refer to them sometimes as comfort food because they've numbed our ability to sense our own pain or our own memories. Uh, Or we may refer to them as junk food because they're less than optimal in terms of they are neither whole foods, typically not fresh. Uh, they don't come from, uh, you know, they can't be recognized as ripe or not. They, they've lost all shelf life. It's long been my opinion that the only foods that don't go bad are foods that already went bad. So anything with a long shelf life already went bad. Mm-hmm. Okay, we'll be back in a moment. Hi, welcome back. This segment of Rockin' Radio is sponsored by MyPodcastExpert.com, where they offer free teleclasses and paid webinars so you can learn how to do what I do for a minimal cost. You learn the layperson's way of doing it with no background needed. If you want to get your name out there as an expert in your field, create and sell products, meet great people, and just have fun, please check out MyPodcastExpert.com and tell them you heard about them from Revel on Rockin' Radio. Check out my uh, T-shirts and caps and bags at CafePress.com slash Revelations, two V's, two L's. And follow me on Twitter, slash Rockin' Radio. Dr. Graham is here today with us. His website, Food and Sport, F-O-O-D-N-S-P-O-R-T, all one word, foodandsport.com. His book, The 80-10-10 Diet, Balancing Your Health, Your Weight, and Your Life, One Luscious Bite at a Time. You can find that and along with his other books, on rockinradio.com. Now I'm going to ask a few questions real quick here, and um, we've got less than 10 minutes. I'd love to hear just quick answers on sprouts. How do you feel about sprouts? I think sprouts are wonderful. If you want to make your own sprouts, it's a nice way to control the, the quality of and the freshness of the young, tender greens that you're consuming. I don't think they're super. Uh, certainly in nature, you wouldn't find many sprouts if you were out walking. But they're certainly uh, a young, tender green, and they're as good as growing your own lettuce or growing your own um, whatever other vegetables you like to consume. I'm in favor of eating young, tender greens. And 
Certainly sprouts are among those. I think it depends on what you sprout, however, because grains are grains regardless of whether you sprout them or not. Uh-huh. And okay. grains, grains do not fit the definition or meat in their food, in their nutritional categories. Uh, they really don't match or mimic human nutritional needs. What about something like sunflower seed sprouts? I think when you get to seed sprouts, you're in a, you're in a far better position. In fact, uh, for reality's sake, there are very few sprouts that are eaten as sprouts because the definition of a sprout is, uh, is this germinated seed that has developed the two or the first two cotyledon leaves. And so although sunflower seeds sprouts are eaten with those cotyledons, they have two green leaves, most of the other things that we eat as sprouts truly aren't sprouts. They're simply germinates. Hmm. Okay. Uh, I think we've already gotten your uh, ideas about supplements. We can ignore that one. <laughs> and I often hear people say that cooking certain foods like tomatoes releases certain nutrients. What are your views? Well, this is, this is great. And I will say about supplements that in a diet that's nutritionally sound, no supplements are required. In a diet where nut- that is not nutritionally sound, supplements won't make up for the lack. Uh, in, terms of, in terms of the backlash from the cooked food movement saying that you get more nutrients from various types of cooking, this is not really true. What's really true is that the percentage absorbed of the available nutrients consumed can rise and often does rise with about a hundred different nutrients out of the million known nutrients. However, of those hundred, to my knowledge, all of them are reduced in number in the cooking process. So, for instance, if we pick lycopene in tomatoes, what you'll find is that the percentage absorbed of lycopene when you eat a tomato is somewhere around 40% of the lycopene in the tomato actually gets absorbed into our system. It's That much is bioavailable. Mm-hmm. When you cook a tomato, the absorption rate goes up to about 50 or almost 60%, somewhere in that range, depending on how it's cooked, which sounds as if you're getting more lycopene, but about half of the lycopene in the tomato is destroyed in the cooking process, meaning that although you absorb a higher percentage, it's of a much lower number, and the overall lycopene taken on board from a cooked tomato is actually less than that taken on board from a raw tomato. Plus, you lose all the other nutrients of the tomato. I mean, that's not the only thing that tomato has in it. Well, as I said, it's, it's, there's roughly 100 nutrients that become more bioavailable when you cook the food. But there's roughly 999,900 uh, nutrients that become less available. So it's, it's roughly, it's roughly uh, 10,000 nutrients lost for every one that supposedly but doesn't really become more uh, available. Great, because I like my tomatoes raw. So if you're willing, I'm more than happy to give you the $100 (laughs) over and over and over uh, every time you give me the million. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. You got it. That's what they're saying. Okay. It's a million to a hundred. That kind of clears it up. Thank you. I'd rather have the million. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, you and me. Okay. Go ahead. Raw foods and cleansing. A lot of people think that the, the, they go through either a 
cleansing, like they'll do some kind of fast or a juice feast before going raw, or they use raw as a cleansing tool. Um, Anything on that? There's a reason why the 80-10-10 diet is the number one selling book in the raw food movement and has been for the last two years and is going to continue to be for a long time, it seems. Uh, And that is because what we're presenting in this book is sound, congruent, simple, clear health science. There are no foods that are cleansing. There are no foods that are building. Fruits and vegetables aren't that smart. Superfoods definitely don't know how to do it. They're isolated substances. Uh, The body runs the show. It has done so since you were two cells big. When those two cells made a miracle and turned themselves into one and then split back into two and you became you with trillions of cells, all the way through that process, it has strictly and only been the body running the show with people occasionally taking credit for what, what went on. But the body has been doing it. The body is self-cleansing, self-directing, self-healing, self-repairing, self-monitoring, literally running the show. If you wish to have the ideal results, the way to get there is to practice the ideal things, to participate in those substances, forces, influences, and conditions that result in ideal health. And by doing so, Ideal health is the natural outcome, ideal health being the default state for all living, all living plants and animals on the planet. Uh, ideal health is the default, and the only time we demonstrate symptoms is if we were to subject ourselves to substances, forces, influences, conditions that are less than optimum, in which case our body gives us some feedback that something needs to change. Hence... A lot of people talk about long transitions or slow transitions or not transitioning too fast or doing these cleanses and whatnot beforehand. In reality, if you want to get better at eating raw foods, the way to do it is to eat raw foods. (laughs) (laughs) The simplest transition invariably is the shortest transition. And the most successful transition, as demonstrated by the people who take Um, professional care of others who have ruined their lives by becoming addicts to alcohol or drugs or other toxic substances. The, The simplest transition is the shortest. The most successful transition is the shortest. And the easiest way to get there and stay there is invariably always the shortest route. The most success I've had has been with people who just ate however they ate yesterday and switched 100% 100% overnight to 80-10-10, and then they just don't look back. Phew. Okay. It surprised the heck out of me because I tried all the slow ways first. It never occurred to me to try the fast way until we tried all the others. And then I met people who said, you know what, I just, I just like made the switch overnight. I read the book, made the switch, and that was that. And they go, oh, yeah, that's obvious. The shortest <laughs> route is the easiest route. Okay, I, I'm, we're going to have to go over time here because I'm not through yet with you, if you got time. I'll stay with you. All righty. Uh, people will say, well, let's, let's look at one thing real quickly here. When people transition or they go into, uh, and I think I know the answer on this one, but I'm going to let you say it. A lot of people tend to get bloated when they start eating raw. There's no question that a lot of people have not yet developed the abilities to digest vegetable matter. Uh, to digest large quantities of fiber or to even deal with large quantities of fiber 
when they first transition over to the raw food diet, I've had tons of people tell me over the years that they can't eat raw foods. And invariably, when I ask them, I go, do you mean you can't eat raw foods, or do you specifically mean that certain vegetables give you trouble? Do you have trouble eating a mango or a peach or a papaya or, a, or some grapes or some apples, or, or are you talking about cabbage and cauliflower and broccoli? And always, every time, it's always the tougher vegetables that give people problems. Uh, done properly in a diet that is predominated calorically by fruit, Volume, perhaps, the diet may be literally balanced by an equal volume of vegetables, but I don't measure it that way. When I talk about measurements, in order to be clear, I always use percentage of calories consumed. And because vegetables are so low in total calories, it's, it's literally difficult to impossible to consume more than 5 or 6% of your total calories per day from salad vegetables. Uh, it just becomes there's just no there's no room in the human tummy. Uh, people who tell me I get all my vegetable all my calories from vegetables, and I'm going, you know, you, you, the average man would have to eat 60 to 80 heads of lettuce per day to get enough calories. Uh, this simply just can't be done. Mm-hmm. And so what we invariably find is that people make a big salad. They maybe get a hundred or two hundred calories in their salad, and the other 800 calories is coming from fat. Wow. Okay. But they think of it as a big salad, and they think of it as eating lots of greens because they just poured a little oil on, but you pour a little oil on, and it's quickly six, eight, six, 800, 1,000 calories of fat You know, when you're, talking, when you're talking hundreds of calories per tablespoon. Yeah, I saw, I saw that in the uh, 80-10-10 diet book that uh, you really explain that thoroughly about how much fat we are getting when we start adding oil to our salads. And so, and so the end result is people digest fruit really well because the water in fruit doesn't require digesting. The sugar in fruit doesn't require digesting. The vitamins and minerals don't get digested. The fiber doesn't require digesting. Uh, the antioxidants and phytonutrients are utilized as is. Fruit is consumed, ripe fruit is consumed in a pre-digested form. And, and it is literally, if you take a bite of a ripe peach and chew it well, most of the nutrients, or many of the nutrients certainly, many of the nutrients in that bite of peach are absorbed under your tongue, directly into your bloodstream, requiring no digestion first in order to be utilized. Okay. It's that quick. Let me check with my uh, engineer. Are we okay to go longer, Bo? Okay, perfect. Thank you. Okay, uh, Dr. Graham, um, question I've heard on this one is I don't want to have to focus that much on food that I'm getting 80-10-10. What's your response to that? Hooray! <laughs> my, my response is hooray! I don't put any thought into my food. It's easy. If you're eating fruits and vegetables, you're eating 80-10-10. If you're having all the fruits you care for and all the vegetables you want, you're probably eating 80-10-10. In fact, if you can answer the following four questions clearly and distinctly and you're not having any of the following four symptoms, you're eating 80-10-10. If you never, ever, ever crave sweets at the end of a meal, if you never, ever are looking around at the end of a meal for something heavy, give me some nuts, give me some avocado. If 
in between meals, you're never looking around for refined sugars. If you're not looking for, for alcohol, candy, dried fruit, or chocolate, or other refined sugars in between meals, if you never, ever look at complex carbohydrates and see even potential food rather than the wallpaper paste that we know complex carbohydrates <laughs> really are, if, that, if none of that is happening to you, then you're eating enough fruit to satiate yourself. Come on, when we were little kids, our moms, every single person, the mom said, don't eat sweets before your meal. It'll spoil your appetite. The reason we eat is to spoil our appetite. Fruits will do it. Sweets will do it. Mom said sweets because kids were eating candy, but it would have been just as true for fruit. Fruit satiates. That's the whole point. And so I don't put any thought into food. I would like the raw food movement to become so large that nobody was ever talking at all about food, that we had come to a common sense conclusion that human beings are designed to eat fruits and vegetables. Uh, we're designed to breathe fresh air. We're designed to get enough sleep. We're supposed to be active every day. These things don't require me to make a living teaching people to take good care of themselves. These are common sense things. And what about bananas uh, as hybrids? Oh, well, you know, Revel, all foods are hybrids. The original, the original single-celled plant that lived in, a, in the ocean and eventually crawled out onto the sea and, uh, or onto the land um, and evolved into various other things, there are, there are no original plants. What we call heirloom plants that we like to think go back in time to the beginning of the heirloom tomatoes that you consumed this summer have seeds that were only, only go back 100 years. All plants, all animals are hybrids. In fact, you and I are both hybrids unless, unless your mother was your brother's Unless your mother was your father's <laughs> brother, sister. Could you know, have been, you, I don't know. <laughs> you know if, if your mother and father were brother and sister, otherwise <laughs> you too are a hybrid. And, and all creatures are hybrids, and every bite of every food you've ever eaten in your entire life is a hybrid. And what happened is, is I happen to know who it was, we won't name names here, but, but the teacher got confused between hybridization and genetic modification and started confusing the two together into one sentence. And most question, no, most definitely, genetic modification uh, is uh, is a Pandora's box that should never have been pursued and certainly never opened. Uh, but but simple hybridization happens in nature. In fact, the banana hybridized itself uh, almost a hundred years ago from a fully and only seeded plant to now half of the species of bananas have gone seedless, while the other half, the, there's 200 seedless varieties and there's 200 seeded varieties. Mm-hmm. And, and of those, the, the 200 seedless varieties all did so of their own accord while we watched and didn't understand how it happened because we didn't have the technology to understand until just recently. Now we know how it was done and a, and a few new varieties have been introduced on the market as well, but, but all plants are hybrids. They've hybridized themselves, um, seedless varieties of a wide number of fruits and vegetables exist in nature naturally and are not to be feared or avoided or in any way um, shunned. Uh, I, I find, it, and, and it is something you asked me about earlier, we didn't quite get to uh, touch upon, you know, there are there are thousands of kinds of fruit available for human consumption. And 
hundreds and hundreds and maybe even thousands of varieties of vegetables available for human consumption. I don't go out of my way. I don't, I don't go out of my way in any way to create or look for massive variety in my diet. But I do notice that with the seasons and with the changes and with, with moving around a bit here and there, I get access to different foods, and I have kept track every now and then. And typically, in an average year, I eat 200 different fruits. I eat 50 different vegetables. And if I compare that to my next-door neighbor eating pizza three or four times a week, hamburger three or four times a week, uh, chicken the other days, my variety on any, any given week is far greater than theirs and on any month far greater than theirs. And every year, it, it leaves them so far in the dust simply by eating fruits and vegetables. I eat more variety than anybody I know. Yeah, that, that's why I find it very, <clears throat> excuse me, very strange when people will say something like, I'm bored with my food. I'm like, well, go out and get different food. It's out there. There's, there's so much out there. Then the beauty of it is that, that if you buy a can of tomatoes, they taste the same all year round. If you open up a box of orange juice, it tastes the same all year round. Mm-hmm. A can of beer tastes the same all year round. In fact, you know, when you go for a McDonald's hamburger anywhere in the world, it tastes the same all year round. But you can't say that of your homegrown tomatoes. No. You can't say... The, one of the tricks of being a good raw food chef is being able to work with the ingredients knowing full well that they won't be the same ingredients that the person who made the recipe used. Mm, I can't, you know, it's hard to make tomato sauce the same twice because you're working with different tomatoes every time. Yeah, excellent, excellent point. Yeah, so organic versus conventional. The people who, the people who put herbicides, fungicides, insecticides, and all of the other sides on food have a responsibility to prove to us that it's safe. The onus of responsibility is not on the organic growers to prove that organic is better. The people who put deadly chemicals on food need to show us why this is acceptable, let alone safe. Uh, I eat organic. I use six criteria for defining healthy food, whole, fresh, ripe, raw, organic plants. I don't think that one of those is more important than the next whole, fresh, ripe, raw, organic plants. And sometimes people go, oh, you're in the raw food movement. Well, I'm in the whole food movement, too. I'm in the, I'm in the organic food movement. And, I, and we make every effort to eat organic with everything we consume. I have a large garden. I work it hard. Uh, I love being out there, and I love the food that comes out of it. And uh, personally, I know I vote with my dollar if I want more organic food in the, in the department stores, if I want more organic food in the produce department, if I want to see higher quality, lower prices, the more people who buy it, the better it gets for all of us. Absolutely. Now, how does your uh, 80-10-10 food program uh, differ from natural hygiene, for instance? Uh, I, I believe you'll find that natural hygiene is... The science of human health, it describes the substances, forces, influences, conditions required for human beings to thrive. Um, I list in the very beginning of my book a list of some 32 different factors that are necessary for human beings to thrive, sort of like when you buy a house plant and it comes with a list of, hey, give me this much water or this much sun or this pH of soil. 
Uh, we have about 32 of those items that have been identified in order for humans to thrive. And natural hygiene focuses just as much on any one of those as it does on any other. Uh, in fact, we understand that your health is as good as its weakest link, and therefore if there's 32 factors, food being one of them, food has a weight of about 3% in your overall health program. I make various writings on different aspects of health creation. The 80-10-10 diet being about food is a very, very small part of what is natural hygiene, the science of human health. But as far as the diet itself, um, you will find relative agreement amongst hygienists that fruits and vegetables uh, should either, as some moderates might say, predominate the diet. Uh, I say fruits and vegetables are the most nutritious foods because their food, their nutrition, I'm sorry, fruits and vegetables are the most nutritious foods because their nutrient content most closely mimics human nutritional needs. Therefore, why not just eat them to the exclusion of all other foods? Obviously, some people don't do that. And the people who don't do that, I have no problem with that in any way, as long as they recognize that they're not doing it in the name of health. You can eat whatever you want, but if your diet strays from whole, fresh, ripe, organic fruits and vegetables, it does so for reasons other than health creation. Wow. Okay. Uh, I think we're done for today, Dr. Graham, and I, I totally appreciate that you were willing to stay with us for as long as you have. Revel, it's been fun. I'm, I enjoy every bit of it. Well, thank you so much. Uh, don't go away, please. Uh, www.foodandsport.com. That's his website, his book, The 80-10-10 Diet. Well, it's actually one of three books. Uh, that's, that's what you've got out now, right? Uh, I, at the moment, I have four books out, but I've got another one coming out in two weeks and another one coming out just three months after that. Uh, uh, dedicated to releasing a book every year for the next decade at least, and uh, kind of excited about that. Oh, I want your next one. you you got to send me your next one just because I'm such a good kid. I'm more than happy to. All right, thank you. The 80-10-10 diet, balancing your health, your weight, and your life one luscious bite at a time. Make it easy on yourself and enjoy food. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of Rockin' Radio. Please feel free to go to rockinradio.com to purchase books and DVDs by all of my guests to help keep this program on the air. If you'd like to advertise on or sponsor this program, Please contact me at spillyourbeans at rockinradio.com. My engineer is Bo Astrup. I'm Revel Revity Singh. Remember to revel in life and always lay with your food and eat your lawn. Bye for now.